The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are caring for a person with autism... Great information from a trusted source can be a lifeline. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We are here to have the conversations that will help you create success for the extraordinary individual with autism in your life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I'm the the Vice President of Business Development here at Autism Spectrum Therapies, uh, an agency providing services and support to individuals with autism and other developmental disabilities. As so many of you guys know, I've got 12 years in the field uh, providing ABA services um, to individuals on the spectrum, uh, early intervention, as well as uh, all the way up to the adulthood ages. And I'm also a BCBA. So I've, I've sitting for the exams, I, I've done the training, um, and I'm actually a board-certified behavior analyst um, practicing as well. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited for this week's show. Uh, Got to admit, I'm, I'm excited for, for kind of a, a host of reasons. Um, you know, generally, I, I, I feel like I come in charged, ready to go uh, with a theme of the show and, and a kind of a thought that's kind of bouncing through my head. And um, what's really cool today is that, um, or at least cool for me, is I feel like I have a lot of thoughts. They're all short thoughts, so I, I ask that you kind of bear with me. Um, you know, selfishly, um, I'm pretty amped up because this is actually going to be uh, the last show that I record before actually heading back to New York to go attend my sister's wedding. Um, very excited for that. She's been engaged for actually close to two years. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think about how, how things just kind of fly by, like how something seems really far away at one point, And then all of a sudden you, you look back and that time has gone by and you just realize, man, that was, felt like nothing. Um, and I had this conversation with my folks um, just last night, just the idea of, can you believe it's been two years since she got engaged and now we're going to have this wedding? And I didn't. I was like, this is, this is six months at the most, or this is like, you know, four months even. And, um, and, I, and I was thinking about just goals and, and accomplishments in that, in that way too. It's, you know, you, you look and you feel like I've worked so hard for something. And you look back, and maybe it's been a, a five-year process, but that five years doesn't always feel like it's really been five years when, you, when you're able to look back. And it really makes it more meaningful. You know, and, and I'm sure that that's how so many of you out there you know, listening probably feel too. I mean, I think that way about my own personal accomplishments. Um, I know I think that about uh, family members' accomplishments as I have supported them and, and assisted them and um, – you know, as a professional working with kids on the spectrum, I often feel that way. Um, 
when when we meet a goal, when when my clients meet a goal, and it, it's pretty amazing to kind of look back and be like, hey, this, you know, this seems like a long road, and and it was so so worth it, and um, the all of the steps along the way, you know, they don't feel like all that steps. They, it feels quicker. It feels it felt easier. It felt you know better, and um, so just kind of a cool feeling for me to have. I know it's it's a little different, but. Uh, but I'm feeling that, and I've I've been feeling that type of, uh, of I guess just good vibes and good energy uh, in a bunch of things that uh, I've been doing. Um, kind of another really cool thought that I have in my head is I know um, I recently just spoke about a uh, bit of a sad story, you know, a, a, a sad situation, a sad story about um, about someone I knew, um, a parent uh, with a child in the spectrum, and going through some tough times and. I just wanted to share, and, and that since we, we talked a little bit about that on the air, um, uh, I've learned from a bunch of different people, uh, some of whom listen to the show, some of whom are, are friends of my friend who forwarded that email to me in the first place, that a lot of different people have, have, have reached out to, to provide some support or to provide some um, assistance um, just because these are really good people and doing really great things. And so I know that doesn't kind of magically make things better, but it was really, it was very uh, special for me to hear that people responded to an email. People responded to some of my words on the air and figured out ways to really, you know, provide support um, and support in a lot of different ways. Um, Probably most of all, uh, and most importantly of all, just emotional support and 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 compassion, because um, I think that that really goes so far. You know, we it goes so so far, especially when you're when you're going through struggles. Um, and so I just thought that was really really cool and really really exciting that um, that so many people were touched, and it, it definitely gave me a lot more hope for just what we talk about here and that, you know, everyone out there is listening and everyone out there is, is affected by these conversations and then moving forward because that's really what uh, we're really striving for is that this conversation leads to actions. And um, that's, that's the best part of our community is how much action we always take. So some, some scattered thoughts, some different thoughts, but, um, but it's some good thoughts. It's nice to start off the show in a, with a, in a good way and with good, good feelings because um, with all the struggles we go through, it's, it's not it's easy to do that. Um, all right. Let's get into today's show. Um, going a little different route. Um, going to look at autism um, in a little bit of a different way that I'm really excited about. Um, today, I'm joined by Chloe Silverman. And Chloe is an associate professor of history and politics as well as a member of the Science, Technology, and Society program at Drexel University. She's the author of Understanding Autism, Parents, Doctors, and the History of a Disorder, uh, which was published by Princeton University Press back in 2011. Um, She's also the author of a number of articles on the sociology of autism research and advocacy. Chloe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Um. Really, really curious to kind of hear your perspective, hear about some of the work you've been doing, um, and almost kind of get like a comparison about what 
we've been talking about for the last year and, and things that I see in the field um, because you, you're looking at things from, I guess, I'm assuming from a, a very different lens um, than I've had. Um, and I was kind of most curious to kind of start this all out is maybe what got you into looking at autism? Um, you're a history professor and a politics professor. It's not the automatic jump I would make. Well, it's it's a good question. I um, there there were a number of things. Uh, I my background is in something called science, technology, and society, and um, it's a, a discipline that looks at the social relationships between the relationships between medicine and society, um, between um, medical and scientific theories, and um, in kind of historical context, and tries to understand how how these things. Um, shape each other. And I was really interested in this category of um, illnesses that medical sociologists refer to as contested illnesses. Um, so uh, disorders where different groups of people have really, really divergent ideas about what they're caused by and how they can best be treated and mm-hmm. who falls into the category. And um, I thought that this seemed like a really, really important thing to understand better just as a category because um, so many of us, are, our lives are, um, are shaped by diagnoses that we fall into or that our family members fall into and um, in conversations about who has the authority to decide what those diagnoses mean for that person's um, entire life trajectory. And so I was really um, actually fishing for a diagnosis, and I ran into um, a a wonderful uh, pediatric neurologist when I was living in Boston um, in just a very chance encounter at a completely unrelated talk, and she started talking to me about the children with autism that she was seeing in her practice. And um, and I really didn't know much about autism at the time, and I didn't understand that there were uh, so many different opinions about its causation, appropriate treatment methods, prognosis. And um, she she gave me an offer that is a is a you know beginning doctoral student I couldn't refuse, which is that she said that I could um, kind of tag along with her to meetings, and that she would help me out with any technical information I needed help with. And so I uh, decided to work on autism as a dissertation topic. Very cool. Did you, um, you know, I'm kind of curious. So, I, again, I'm, I'm this comparison about kind of what you've found and versus what, what I've been seeing. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing we've been talking so much about is parents, roles yeah. of parents, um, you know, the actions of parents and, and family members and how that can affect um, the outcomes for the children. And so I was curious mm-hmm. if, if you've seen anything in your research um, to help, you know, I guess, demonstrate like what is the right role for a parent or what are critical roles parents should be playing um, in, the, in the, I guess, the services or the support that their kids get. Okay, well, I mean, I guess I, I, it's probably a no-brainer, but the, the first most important thing that a parent of any child can do, whether or not that child has an autism diagnosis or another developmental diagnosis, is to, to love them and take care of them. Um, and that's just you know, the most yeah. important thing. I think parent, autism parents do that amazingly. You know, it's, it, 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 you know, it bears repeating, and that's a, that's a huge job. <laughs> um, being a parent is a lot, of, a, a lot of joy and a lot of work. 
Um, one of the things that, that I really found in my research, and I, I wasn't looking for it except to the extent that I'm very interested in how people without medical degrees participate in mm-hmm. um, producing knowledge about medical entities, medical diagnoses. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in that going in, but in a very diffuse way. Um, one of the things that really struck me was, well, there were two things. The first thing was that parents have been really important over the entire history of the autism diagnosis in producing credible knowledge about autism. And um, so much of what we see in the present has to do with people talking about how um, theories that are promoted by parents are untrustworthy or parents' observations are unreliable um, and how we need to defer to expert opinions. And there's definitely a place for expertise, and it can be yeah. very, very crucial in dispelling um, wrong ideas. But it's also really important when you look at that history to see that parents have often been really um, ahead ahead of and anticipating a lot of things that were much, much later um, confirmed doing more um, empirically-based studies on larger groups just um, of children. So just by based on their observations and their conversations, they were um, identifying things about autism that were um, that, that proved to be really, really important later on to medical and scientific understandings of autism. And, um, and they were discovering these things through their interactions on a daily basis with their own children and through mm-hmm. their social networks. And um, just, you know, just as an example, um, I think that there have been a lot of articles uh, recently about the interrelationship between gastrointestinal issues and behavioral problems or behavioral challenges. And, um, and, I, and, uh, and it, it's taken, um, at least, you know, from the perspective of parents, a really long time for this to be um, seriously researched and confirmed by the, the medical community, because if you go back and look at something like the Journal of Autism, what's now called Journal of Autism and Developmental Disabilities, parents have been reporting on these kinds of things um, since the ninth, early 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that, that's just one example of a place where parents' observations about the relationship between their children's um, physiology and their cognition and their behavior um, was was something that was um, the, the, an observation was was common in the parent community, but really only um, later confirmed um, through medical research. Mm-hmm. So that that's one thing. The other thing, and I realize I'm going on a bit, so I'll just be quick. Is that um, in many cases, uh, interventions that have been considered to be effective um, at, at different moments in time, even if they were um, later considered to be based on theories that weren't, um, weren't uh, con- aren't now considered to be valid or trustworthy, um, have have almost always depended on the participation of parents or other kinds of intimate caregivers. Yeah, and. Um, and it's so we don't, you know, to the extent that we, we being the community of people interested in autism, know anything about interventions, it's that the ones that people have talked about working or having something called efficacy have often depended on really, really close personal relationships mm. and, 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 um, and labor, labor intensive participation on the part of caregivers, mm. um, either parental ones or, or, or others. So uh, those are, those are some of the things that I've learned from looking at this over this kind of broader historical perspective. Nice. Wonderful. Um, well, let's 
let's take a quick commercial break and let's come back and talk a little bit more about your research. Um, you know, your, your answers kind of got me in a couple of different directions. So I'm excited to, to come right back. We'll be right back. Okay, great. sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Joined today by Chloe Silverman, um, author of Understanding Autism, Parents, Doctors, and the History of a Disorder. Um, you know, I was... <laughs> Made a, you made a comment um, in your last response that I thought was really, um, I don't know, that got me thinking. I think you said that one of the things that drew you to this was about um, understanding how, I guess, like maybe, un, I think you said unlicensed people kind of drive the medical, medical issues, something, mm-hmm. you know, how non-doctors are essentially driving this. And I was just kind of curious, you know, I'm someone, I'm, I've got 12 years of, of working with kids on the spectrum. I do ABA, and ABA is something that has a lot of research, but I know there's still a lot more research we need to do to really um, improve our acceptance within the greater kind of national, international community, um, especially from a medical perspective. And I was wondering if you kind of, if you came across anything uh, about professionals like me, you know, whether it be um, BCBAs, um, maybe um, occupational therapists, uh, people who are a little bit more on the therapeutic side, but maybe not necessarily okay. the medical side. Um, gosh, let, let me think about that. What, what if, so what, one of the things that I was interested in, like I said, I, I, I was focused that one of the things that my attention was drawn to not, was not just parents, but like you said, other kinds of um, kind of 
professionals and technicians who aren't generally recognized as knowledge producers. Yeah. So people like the people uh, carrying out diagnostic screenings, like mm-hmm. ADOS or ADI, um, the people who are um, doing ABA or other kinds of um, behavioral interventions. Um, and I think that I, you sort of already said this, but, but I, my sense from what I've looked at is that there's probably a huge wealth of untapped knowledge there. Um, there's also a lot of knowledge in among, um, for instance, pediatricians who are not who are clinicians rather than research scientists mm-hmm. who see all kinds of things in children on the spectrum who come into their practices but don't have time to publish on it because they're not rewarded for publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they already have a huge clinical practice, and there's right. absolutely no incentive for them to publish. So I think that there's probably we know. The, I I tell people that you know the, the one thing that we know really at this point after more than half a century of um, an autism diagnosis existing is that uh, autism is an incredibly heterogeneous and in diverse category. Mm-hmm. Um, it's both. If you've seen one child with autism, you've seen one child with autism, and it really is true. And so um, the, the more kinds of knowledge you can tap in research, um, the better, because I think that, that so many of the things that people can see and observe are context-dependent children act, um, and adults for that matter, too, act in different ways yeah. in a home environment than they do in a clinical environment than they do in a therapeutic environment. Um, and so, um, you know, if, we're, if people are interested in um, in kind of uh, helping people foster behaviors or um, or um, uh, skills that are going to be beneficial to them, uh, it's really, really important that you are tapping the observations of people who see people with autism diagnoses, a lot of people in that sense, um, in a range of different contexts and in a range of different relationships. Um, and so it, I don't know if that answers your question at all. Yeah, it does. No, I, it, actually it does. And it's, you know, it's, it does because I really wasn't sure what you what you would have found. It was it's one of these things where, and I think what's cool is it, it kind of confirms a lot of what I think deep down I've always felt or or and believed, which is like you said, there's a lot of stuff you know from working. I mean, after working with a hundred kids, I start to see things. You start to notice mm-hmm. trends. But I'm someone like you just said it like that pediatrician. I am not. I get rewarded by working with my clients and seeing the hands-on approach. Research isn't something that um, is as rewarding to me. I know mm-hmm. that there's a lot of value to it, but I don't get the same value from sitting and kind of organizing all of this data and information and writing articles as I do from I'm going to sit down and help this one person in this one situation. There's just the human interaction is just too rewarding for me. Um, but there's a lot of people like me who probably have a lot of observations and instincts and things to share that we need to kind of do – we need to do a better job of getting out there and organizing and learning from. So I, I think your point makes perfect sense. Um, okay. uh, curious a little bit about the history side. So uh, I'm, you know, my listeners know I'm a little bit of a history nerd. I thought I was going to be a historian at one point in time and I thought you know, I'm going to be the, the cool uh, American Revolution um, history professor. And that really didn't go beyond uh, the age of 20. I think I kind of gave up on that. Um, but I am curious about 
the, the research you did on the history of the diagnosis mm-hmm. and um, maybe how, how that research and, and, and understanding that research um, maybe explain some of the different controversies we're seeing about the meaning of the diagnosis and th- this increase in the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I can say will probably be familiar to most of your listeners. Um, okay. there, there's, it's very, very hard to definitively explain the increase in diagnoses beyond pointing out that it, it has occurred, it's been dramatic, it seems to be continuing. So mm-hmm. there was this recent study of, of autism rates in Korea that seems to suggest it's way higher there. And often when we, people have found a higher autism rate in one place, initially they think, oh, it's a cluster, and that it turns out to actually be what the rates are. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, something is happening, and the question is, do we diagnose autism differently? Are, they, are, are we recategorizing people, or is there a, a real kind of, um, you know, a, uh, on the ground, kind of, I think what epidemiologists refer to is a secular increase in autism. And so, mm. um, and that's <laughs> incredibly hard to say. I don't think that any um, single explanation, any, any set of explanations has been able to rule out the possibility that there uh, may be some um, set of environmental, interacting environmental factors that are causing this increase. But um, a lot of it has to do with a series of expansions in the category. So when uh, Leo Connor first described infantile autism in 1943, um, he defined a very, very specific um, set of uh, children. He was talking about children. He wasn't really thinking about what happened to them as adults, um, which is something that I, I, I think really bears talking about. <laughs> Um, but uh, he, he really thought that these were people um, without any um, co-occurring intellectual disabilities. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in around the, the early late 1960s and early 1970s, some, uh, s- some epidemiologists, I'm trying not to throw a bunch of names out, um, start, started to say, oh, well, what would happen if we looked at the uh, set of um, impairments and communication um, behavior and social relatedness that um, are characteristic of understood to be characteristic of autism and and just look at them in in whole cohorts of children without um, excluding kids on the basis of um, previous diagnoses, prior diagnoses of um, intellectual disabilities or or, uh, genetic disorders or other things. And, And they found much, much higher rates than had been previously described. And then beginning in the early 1990s, um, the Asperger, Asperger syndrome, which had been used actually in other countries, um, mm-hmm. in Europe and in Japan, was introduced. Uh, and so then you, you get another increase in diagnoses based on um, Asperger syndrome being included as a pervasive developmental disorder. And, um, and all of these are serving to, to, to considerably expand the number of people who are eligible for a diagnosis on the autism spectrum. Um, at the same time, um, there, with um, and this is the argument of a team of sociologists um, led by Gail Ayal at, at Columbia University, um, at the same time with deinstitutionalization, um, you have a lot of people who were, again, previously labeled as having uh, intellectual disabilities or what would have then been called mental retardation, um, who uh, are, were then um, in... Uh, in community settings and um, whose parents were becoming advocates and who might have also um, been seen as better served by an autism diagnosis. And so that could be part of the increase. 
Um, so I think, you know, the key take-home is, again, a pretty simple one, which is that there's almost never been a point from the beginning of this diagnosis that its boundaries haven't been the subject of considerable debate. And who fell into the category and who did not qualify for the category has never not been um, a subject of concern on the part of professionals and parents and people with the diagnosis. Hmm. Well, let's... I want to take a commercial break right now and kind of let that all kind of simmer because I feel like I'm on the verge of a next question, but I want to, I want to give myself another minute to just to really let it solidify. So we're going to take one more break and we'll be back with Chloe Silverman. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen every week for Mental Health with Dr. Sarita Rao. Our program focuses on behavioral health issues like depression, dependence on drugs and alcohol, anger management, stress, and other challenges. From ADHD to bipolar disorder, we'll want to hear from you with questions and experiences to share. That's Mental Health with Dr. Sarita Rao, live every Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Find out more. You don't need to deal with this alone. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at AutismTherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Segment three on Autism Spectrum Radio. Um, kind of looking at autism and, and the diagnosis in a little bit different way. Taking a historical perspective today with uh, Chloe Silverman, uh, the Associate Professor of History and Politics um, from Drexel University. Um, I think I got this this solidified. You're, you're the the last question and answer really kind of got me thinking. It's it's listening to you. What really kind of struck me interesting about the history of the diagnosis is this: the way you described how one diagnosis got added on. Um, I think it's when you mentioned Asperger's um, mm-hmm. syndrome and how that got added on. It got me thinking a lot about. One of the things a few of our guests have said, some people I've spoken to, is you know they feel like autism isn't a diagnosis. They feel like autism is really the summary of a lot of different diagnoses that are all mm-hmm. really similar. And um, I'm, I've always been very curious by a, a presentation I, I saw probably about a decade ago in which someone described to me um, or described to the audience, it wasn't autism, it was the autisms, meaning 
his, his right. belief was that there's like 30 things going on, 30 diagnoses that are all just slightly different that we're lumping up into autism, which explains the idea of the spectrum and, and why we have such a spectrum of kids within the, within the diagnosis. And I don't know, I, I, I could kind of, I almost had this visual of, you know, each piece being added on, added on, added on, so we can understand the spectrum, but there's like segments along the way. And I, I, mm-hmm. I almost could visualize this as you were describing the history. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting. Right. I mean, I, you know, one thing is that while the, the spectrum concept is, has, has proven really, really useful um, as a kind of a cognitive tool and a, it's something that can structure genetic studies and epidemiological studies, it, it may in some ways be a disservice in that it implies that there's only one linear axis on which yeah. autism varies. And anyone who works with people uh, with the diagnosis knows that that's completely untrue. There, there's, yeah. it's, a, it's a dimensional um, diagnosis. And so, um, you know, it's thinking of autism from the perspective of a sociologist in medicine, thinking of autism as a thing is, mm-hmm. is, is hugely productive for certain sets of professionals. And um, so, it, you know, if you want to get funding for a study on, on genetics or brain structure, it, it, it really helps if you can have a thing you're looking at. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to look at the set of people who've been thrown into this diagnostic category, and I'll probably end up disaggregating them and end up being able to tell you a little bit about one tiny sub-segment of it, is not, is not so appealing to funders. Um, and, it's, and it's also, you know, a very, very important tool educationally and um, politically. So, you know, you want something you can advocate for, and you want to be able to build social networks on the basis of a diagnosis where people do share certain similar needs for accommodation and support. But on the other hand, in terms of um, other things, in terms of um, certain kinds of specific accommodations that can be provided or in terms of the productivity of research, it can also be a disservice uh, to think of autism as a, as a single entity because it can tend to elide um, the, the variability of the diagnosis. Yeah. And, um, and you can end up having... Get, getting into arguments that really don't need to happen, um, where one person is saying, well, you know, this, this intervention or this accommodation worked beautifully for this person, but it must, it must be invalid because it didn't work for this other person. That right. makes perfect sense if you understand that autism is, can be many, many different things in terms of how it, what it is biologically and how it manifests. Um, and, but if you, if you're, it, stuck within this um, framework of thinking that it's this single fixed entity that is um, immutable across different individuals, then you, you get into these um, very unproductive corners. I, I feel like listening to your answer, I feel like I could put myself in an IEP meeting too and see <laughs> these two sides. It's the, the group classification allows for a conversation to take place, but once you get into the meat of that conversation – that group piece can hurt you too because up oh, it didn't work here, so I'm not going to offer it to you and your child here. Regardless exactly. of individualization, it 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 can have pros and cons just in how we go about delivering services or accessing services. So it's I, I think there's a, there's a lot more to what you're saying. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Exactly, and it, especially you know, in, in, you mentioned your area of insurance coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be it, 
a, a real problem because insurance companies might want to cite studies that deal with the autism population as a whole. They're going to provide coverage for a particular thing or a particular accommodation or particular therapy. And those things yep. can be really hard to come by because it's very hard to demonstrate that anything is effective, whatever that means, in uh, across the population with the diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in some ways... I mean, I'm sure you may have even had conversations about this on your show with the the new DSM-5 categorization of just autism spectrum disorder is is an attempt to to address a a problem, which is that the existing subcategories didn't seem to make much sense in terms of designing research um, or describing people. But it, it, so it, it's actually a very, I think, commendable effort to say, okay, actually, they're, you know, talking, they're, there's so much overlap between these different groups and in making the distinction between someone having PDD and OS versus mm-hmm. autism. It's, it's just, you know, too, too hard to do. People can shift over the course of their lives. But on the other hand, we, we, we're kind of back at this point of saying that there's this thing called autism spectrum disorder and you either fall into it or don't. Um, and I know people are concerned about um, losing eligibility for services yeah. in some cases. So it's, I'm, I am very, uh, you know, anxious and anxious and curious to see how this plays out in the next few years. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. You know, I, I'm, I kind of want to segue into something uh, a little different, um, but one of the, the things I'm curious about is, you know, you're spending time in, with so many researching the medical side of this. Um <laughs> Talking, you know, talking about a medical diagnosis and understanding the impact of um, non-medical people. But I was wondering um, about some of the the medical things. And and I hear a lot, and and something I'm probably less educated on myself, are biomedical interventions for autism. Um, It's something that I know a lot of my families um, talk about. uh, Many of them subscribe to it. And I was wondering if spending time with doctors, spending time with parents... Um, if you learned anything um, about the biomedical interventions or approaches that are out there? Well, I mean, I, I, learned, I learned a lot. Um, I, I don't think I learned anything about which approaches are more or less effective or, mm-hmm. you know, any, I don't think I learned anything that's um, applicable in terms of designing a treatment plan for any person. Sure. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that, um, that I, there are a few things I learned. Um, there is is almost anyone would tell you they're utilized by a huge proportion of the autism community, and um, and I think it's it's interesting that even you know a lot of um, self advocates who are who are very wary of talking about autism as a medical condition will still talk about selectively utilizing some things that are characterized as biomedical interventions in order mm-hmm. to address specific problems that they encounter. So. You know, they might say, oh, well, you know, yes, I'm, I'm very skeptical of this particular characterization of autism. Autism is medical disorder, but I have noticed that I feel better when I change my diet. <laughs> so um, people are, and, and, you know, and, and so I think it's a really, really interesting um, site for thinking about what autism is. And uh, accessing biomedical interventions doesn't necessarily imply that you believe any particular thing about autism's cause or mm-hmm. um, the, the best um, outcome for people with autism, how mm-hmm. it should be treated, how it should be addressed. Um, certainly the, the, the most commonly utilized biomedical intervention, the one that came up the most in conversations are dietary interventions. Um, and 
um, you know, on the face of it, it seems to me to be a, a very important thing to explore because so many different disorders are um, affected, are influenced by gastrointestinal health and by dietary changes um, or, or dietary factors and uh, nutritional factors. So it seems certainly worth looking at. One of the difficulties with uh, dietary changes, elimination diets, or with any, a, a host of other things that are categorized as biomedical interventions is that they can be very, very, very hard to test and validate yeah. um, because it's very hard to do a, a, a blinded controlled study of um, a, a, an elimination diet. Mm. It's, it, it, um, it's just really, really, really difficult, especially when you're talking about families who, whose resources may already be pretty taxed. Um, and so one of the things that, that I'm really interested in understanding is um, how the community that is interested in biomedical interventions and firmly believes that some of them can be really important in improving the quality of life um, for people with autism, whether through kind of addressing co-occurring medical conditions or because addressing using biomedical interventions actually affects what are considered to be core features of autism in ways that, that improve the lives of people with autism. Um, how those can be um, tested and validated in ways that are seen as credible to the medical community at large. And um, it's it's very difficult, and I think that um, that they're you know are probably going to have to be if if. They are to become commonly utilized and accepted. Um, well, first of all, doctors have to become comfortable talking about them because right. so many people are using them anyway. So um, they have to become a topic of conversation and um, recognized. And, and maybe there has to be has to be some recognition that some of these things are going to be very, very hard to validate. But that if they can seem um, to be demonstrably and reasonably non harmful, that mm-hmm. it might be worth an experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, an, an individualized experiment, using the term experiment loosely, um, to see if, if they help, because it, it may be very, very, that, that research um, validating the efficacy of, of a lot of them may be slow in coming. Well, um, we've got one more commercial break we've got to take. So let's take our final break, and we'll come back with our, uh, our last segment. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we see a world where people with autism dream and achieve their full potential. Our promise is to support families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. 
Call us today and let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, supporting extraordinary individuals and their families. Visit autismtherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for our host, Rob, or the guest, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's more info at AutismTherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. Final segment, uh, closing up this show. We're going to do this one a little bit shorter because um, we've, been, we've been running a little long, but that's okay. We've, we've been having a, a good discussion, and uh, we've got to give it time. Um, you know, Chloe, I, the thing that I, I really wanted to end on and, and the the curious question I have is through all of this work you've been doing, were there any kind of issues or any topics that you felt like were underrepresented in, in the research? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the thing that comes to mind first is, um, in, in this is, uh, refers to the research from the beginning of the autism diagnosis but through the present is uh, re- research on adults with autism and um, autism across the lifespan um, for, for reasons that are probably pretty easy to guess. A lot of research has been focused on young children um, because a lot of research is focused on interventions um, and it, so especially kind of treatment-based research. Um, and I am, and there, there's really, adults with autism are really underrepresented. Um, in research, they're also underrepresented politically. And, um, so that's something that, that seems really, really significant. And, and I think that a lot of people, a lot of parents, a lot of, um, service providers will say that, um, this is true of any number of developmental disabilities, but, that services and supports really fall off in adulthood. And so, um, so, both, you know, producing knowledge about what it means to be an adult with autism, but autism, what are the, 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 you know, challenges and features of autism in adulthood, um, is lacking and would really help in terms of devising services and accommodations for, um, adults with autism. I also, um, a related thing, um, that, that seems really significant to me that I often hear, um, researchers and advocates talking about is that, um, we know that that um, that interventions um, can change what autism looks like in a particular person. That um, the features of of autism can can change over time with development, with growth, just like anyone changes over time. And I think that um, that understanding that trajectory and thinking about it in terms other than a binary of of recovery or continuing autism. Um, is something that that really could researchers could do better, um, and they could do it better also in in consultation, not just with um, other researchers, not just with parents, but also with self advocates and um, 
people with autism, talking about what, what, what's, a good, what's a good outcome look like for autism? What, what, should, what should people be working toward? Um, what does quality of life mean and good quality of life mean? And I think that that's something that, that could be really better represented in research. Mm, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, we're, we're really out of time. I'm, I'm sure... Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are just curious about about what you know what else you've been doing, learning more about uh, about what we've been discussing. Um, I know your book, uh, Understanding Autism: Parents, Doctors, and the History of a Disorder, is um, is out. Um, I know yeah. I found it really uh, really easy to find on the the Princeton University Press um, website. Um, was wondering, is there any other? I guess any other way if, if families have uh, have. I guess, questions or, or would want to learn more about what you're doing. Um, uh, is there any other way for them to, um, to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, um, I'm just in the, in the process of, of changing my institutional affiliation. So wow. um, <laughs> I'm, I, I will get you my, um, my email address and maybe you can post it on my website. I'm actually not sure of it myself okay. yet. Um, so I, I don't want you to post the incorrect website, email address, but I'm very happy to sure. be contacted. Um, and I can sometimes get behind on emails, but I try to respond to all of them. Um, so, yeah, it, that, that's about it. Um, the, the book is just out in paperback, so awesome. uh, it, it should be very easy to get a hold of. Well, I, was, I thought it was really cool. I, I noticed it was also on, uh, available as an e-book, so I, I appreciated yeah. that as I've... As I've recently gotten into the e-reader craze, it's uh, it's quite convenient. So that was nice too. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Me too. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Um, final couple minutes here, everybody. Um, I, I I don't know. I loved today. I thought this was this was really great. I feel like. Hearing different perspectives about how people are looking at, at autism, um, hearing from a doctor, hearing from a BCBA, hearing from a parent, hearing from an OT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it all so closely ties into, I think, where this conversation started about there's a lot of information out there that maybe we haven't tapped into to truly ensure that we understand the diagnosis and the causes and uh, the outcomes. And I just think maybe it's the history nerd, but I think it's way more than that. Uh, I think it's just so cool that a, a history professor, a, a, a politics professor, someone doing, you know, the sociology side of things um, is looking at all of this and is looking at autism and, and organizing um, what research has been out there and, and looking at this span, you know, this last 50 years or so. I think that's awesome. I, I feel like it's giving so much more importance to what we talk about every day. And I really think it's, it's these different perspectives that are going to move us forward because we're going to be talking to first just a wider group of people. Um, a wider, di more diverse group of people, which I think always leads to better outcomes for what, for, for our kids and, and for the services and support. But I, I think we're also going to get really unique and objective 
perspectives and opinions that are going to challenge us who maybe are in it working with with our kids working with families working to to push this forward it's going to give us a unique perspective it's going to give us new perspectives that sometimes you can kind of lose sight of when you're in it every day and um, I know for me there were a number of things that I know hey we have talked about that but it was so reaffirming to hear Chloe say, this is what I found from my research, and it supports what we've been talking about. Like It just further validation that I think we're on the right track, as well as giving us some really good um, understanding about where some of these things are coming from, um, especially the idea of how the spectrum can be a good thing and, a, and potentially a bad thing when we look at services and when we look at um, acceptance from different communities. So um, if you want more information, if you want to hear more about similar topics, we don't have quite a show just like this one, but one that does come to mind that I think is close and and really can kind of pique your interest is one we did back in February with uh, Mary Jane Weiss. The show was actually on February 26th, in which we talked about research and ethics, um, specifically within the science of ABA. Um, So I think that is going to be really, really exciting um, and a good compliment. And I I'm, didn't even know this, but I'm really excited. It sounds like Mary Jane's going to actually come back and join us again on, uh, on our November 19th show, which is really cool. I like her a lot. I, you guys know I, I read her, uh, her ethics uh, article every, every month in, the, uh, in this APBA newsletter I get. So very excited about that. Uh, more info at autismtherapies.com. You can contact us on Facebook. Uh, all of you guys have a fabulous week and weekend. I'll be thinking of all of you a little bit, not, not too much. I'm going to embrace the wedding and, and uh, spend a lot of time with the family, but definitely keeping my, my eyes and ears open because I, I feel like those family events um, is always when I see, hear, or think of something that I'm like quick to bring back to the show and, and talk to you all about. So I will, I will do my best to do that as well. Have a great one. Take care, everyone. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.